All right, it's a special rivalry-themed episode. This is the unscripted Michigan State podcast on the Field of 68, but it's also a Go Blue with Stu episode with Stu Douglas on the Field of 68. We're going to do a little hybrid, two episodes in one, give you both the Michigan State and the Michigan perspective. I am Greg Waddell from Sleepers Media with me as always. My good friend Carter Elliott, who is just ecstatic coming off of Michigan State's performance this weekend. And then from the Wolverine side of things, we have former Wolverine Stu Douglas here with us too. Uh, Stu, let's start with you, man. How are you? You were just in Florida for the weekend. Did it treat you well? It, it treated me pretty well. It wasn't as warm as I hoped. And I Otherwise, yeah, it was a good escape to get out of Indiana. I never watched, I've never watched a Michigan game at a bar like that. Uh, and I got a little uh, ruckusy with my, with my brother and brother-in-law and my dad. Yeah, it was good. It was a good experience for me, even though even though it was a loss. Sounds good. You know, some of us took losses, Greg. You know, and on the last episode of the Unscripted, the victory shades they they took a break, but with the win against the rivalry, the victory shades are coming back. All right, what Shout even out to are them. those? Where are those oh, they're from? Just, they're, they're just victory shades. I don't know. I just I feel like a winner in these, and because I am a winner, I shall win. Since I'm not on this podcast a lot, what? Who's the jersey? Tell me, it's Mateen Cleves. No, this is actually Cassius Winston. <laughs> you wanna, do you want to give your Mateen Cleaves thoughts, though? I feel like you're going to take that as an insult that Stu yeah, thought that I was am. Uh, Yeah, uh, I, I don't really know if we want to get into that this episode, <laughs> but I think Mateen Cleaves is one of the most overrated players of all time oh, in college basketball. God. I, I, he, I don't even know where to take that. <laughs> I, yeah, like, he's, he's, I don't know. Mateen Cleaves and Ed Coda were like the point guards <laughs> of the 90s for me, and now you're already trashing one of them. I don't even know where to, t- know where to go. With it, it. Yeah, good player. Good player. Just <laughs> Look, Carter, 67% of the listeners are going to hate 67% of the people on the panel today. You're supposed to hold it down for Spartan Nation. Honestly. You're not supposed to antagonize them with anti-Mateen Cleaves. I don't want to antagonize them. I'm just saying, if I'm picking point guards in Michigan State history, Mateen Cleaves is third, maybe fourth. I mean, uh, I just I just saw the trim, the old school trim, and I just immediately think of Mateen right off the bat. That's fair. Mm, yeah, and if you, if you do notice this trim, I actually got pretty upset one Michigan State game, and this jersey almost <laughs> was a casualty, but I saved it. It's okay, though. Oh, God. All right, so uh, if people follow Sleepers Media on social media, you could see Carter and I were at this game. We somehow got credentialed for this game, which I doubt we'll ever get credentialed again based on our body language and behavior at this game uh, because we did not behave like media. Carter was, was pretty, pretty celebratory off of big moments. There were quite a few big moments for Michigan State down the stretch cart. Uh, But this was also a back and forth game for the first half, really kind of a one possession game for the first 18 minutes. Michigan State hit a big shot late in the first half, took a four point lead into the break. I want to take you, Carter Elliott, back to halftime of this game, because there was a period in time where it looked like Michigan was up for the challenge and was here and could have maybe pulled the upset. What were your thoughts at halftime of this game, and what were your feelings? Did you expect Michigan State to storm out and run them out of the gym in the second half like they did? No, I honestly didn't. Uh, the first half for me was just the, – the thing that stuck out between both teams was how Michigan's front court just dominated. I mean, Hunter Dickinson was a monster. Musa Diabate, we couldn't do anything with him. Uh, we continued to do the Michigan State rotation thing where right when it hits 17 minutes and 27 seconds, no matter what is going on in the world and what is going on on the bench, the stadium, it doesn't matter. Marcus Bingham has to take a seat because he's he's gassed, I guess. But, he, you know, the rotations were going the same way they usually go. And Hunter Dickinson and Musa Diabate were able to absolutely dominate Julius Marble and the other bigs for Michigan State. And that was something – that I was just not a fan of, obviously. And I thought it was something that was going to continue into the second half. But as we saw in the game, we were able to get some more stops on the defensive end, especially in the front court. And we kind of, I feel like at halftime, the coaches talked and we're like, okay, I think the Michigan front court's going to get theirs. We need to make it tough on them, but we can't let anybody else score. Or we can't let basically the wings and the guards get their buckets. And I don't think they did in that second half. And that's kind of how the league grew when we were able to finish the game and win it. So uh, I like the halftime adjustments. That was nice. But uh, as always, I will say on every single episode of Unscripted, 
Izzo, the rotations, this is uh, just, I don't know, something different maybe. I don't know. So I, for all the shit that we've given Tom Izzo, rightfully so, I think, this season and seasons past, I actually thought it was pretty well managed by him in this game. Like, you got the, the good Malik Hall first half mm-hmm. and really the good Malik Hall game as a whole. But he also, like, he went away from Joey Hauser in spurts and then he went back to Joey Hauser and Joey Hauser rewarded him with some of his best individual basketball going toe-to-toe with Hunter Dickinson down the stretch of that game. Um, you know, Max Christie continues to lead the team in minutes, which we've said is a key number for this team all season long, 35 minutes. That was rewarded with a, a bunch of buckets in the first half when Michigan State was really struggling to get anything going in the half court. Uh, again, Bingham, like you're worried about minutes, but he did pick up four fouls in this game. Hunter Dickinson yeah. was getting everybody into foul trouble. So I don't blame the Bingham minutes as much. I think he probably would have eclipsed 20 this game if there weren't fouls issues there. Um, never know. But, yeah, you do never know. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I left that being less critical of Tom Izzo than I have been in the past. But um, Stu, so on the Michigan side of this, right, I think it's fair, especially looking back on it now, it's fair to say Michigan was the underdog in this game, but also just by record and ranking and all of that, Michigan was an underdog in this game legitimately. You've been involved in this rivalry. You've had the big win, obviously, that everyone remembers your massive shot at the Breslin Center. But I I also feel like you've probably been on both sides of like going into a game as big underdogs, going into games where it's a pick them, like you you really feel like you can get them. Um, For for this Michigan team and their psyche, a bunch of guys who are new to this game, being down four at half really of a back and forth first half, What's that mentality like? Like, did they go into halftime feeling like, oh man, like how are we down for right now? We played pretty good. Or was there still like a, okay, this game is ours for the taking. And then they just kind of came out flat. I think they believed it was theirs for the taking, but they didn't play well half. Like they, they weren't sync. Uh, I mean, Caleb Houston wasn't in any sort of groove whatsoever. And they were relying on Hunter a bunch and he wasn't, you know, you know, he wasn't even over 50% field goal first half. So like they were hammering their game plan, what they have been in the last three or four games with their win streak, which is post up, post up, post up. And it's been pretty good, but they haven't still figured out how to get shots out of it reliably. Um, So I don't know if they were feeling good. I think they were they were still in it, obviously, because college basketball and you're going to play hard and it's only four points. But I still think they were kind of looking at each other like we don't, we're not really 100% where we're getting shots from, where we're going to get our best shots from. And they knew they had a tall task because Michigan State was doing kind of the, exactly that, exposing the ball screen defense. So and, uh, I don't think it was super great feeling going into half anything they're like okay like we're still in it here uh you know we got a chance um but i mean even in that first half it was again like just exposing some things that michigan just was not doing well yeah Yeah, i was i I was very interested um to see what the ball defense was because granted yes i do watch a lot i watch a good amount of college basketball i haven't watched as many michigan games this year if i have in the past years i don't think um, but I was very surprised to see them hedging with Hunter um, just because, you know, he's obviously we know Hunter's limitations defensively. He's not really a big that's made to get out and hedge and get back. He's not necessarily fleet of foot. So I thought that was a big advantage for Michigan State because we were able to attack that ball screen and credit to A.J. Hogard. I thought he did an amazing job in all the ball screen situations in this game, whether it was going and getting his own shot or also, you know, dishing out. I think he had 10 assists total and only one turnover. And that's that's an amazing stat for any point guard, especially for Michigan State this year with all the turnover troubles we have. Yeah, Man. so we uh, we talked pre-game card about what was going to be the ball screen coverage for Michigan. And for the last two seasons, they've played a lot of drop coverage. This seemed like a game that was perfectly set up for drop coverage, but they haven't played a ton of that, really any of that this season for big stretches in a game. Uh, Stu, what's what's your take on that? Like, well, it's yeah. it's easy to look back on it and be like, they should have done that. But like, why why do you think this team has gone away from that this season? There's, I, I mean, it seemed like they were they were miscommunicating all over the place, and it was loud as hell in the Breslin Center. So like, there's a couple times where 
you know, it was a ball screen on the wing and the guards expecting to ice it and down it towards the baseline and boom, Moose is already high hedging, you know, without the ball dribbler even doing anything. So like there's three mistakes going on in one play by both those guys. I saw it with Hunter a couple of times as well, where he expected an ice and the guard let him go off the ball screen towards the middle. So then he went down the middle downhill and, you know, Hunter couldn't even contest. So it was a lot of miscommunication and I, it was probably just loud. I mean, you you have to really scream, scream, way game of these types of calibers at this kind of volume. Like you have to be known when that ball screen is coming, when that big guy takes its first step, and it's it's. I'll tell you right now, it is stressful, especially being that guard where you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure a ball screen is coming, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Is the big guy ready to hedge? Is the big guy telling me to ice it? So like they were just completely um miscommunicating all over the place and I don't know if that's because of lack of practice or why they kind of went to this aggressive style uh sometimes you know with beeline we would be like okay with the four man we're going to hedge hard like we do with Musa and then with Hunter it's going to be uh flat but then again with the guard the guard doesn't know if it's Musa's man or Hunter's man the list so there's a lot of different factors going in there and this is a young these are young guys out there so these are things they had to get used to and get reps with um I would imagine the March 1st game, I think, is when they got rescheduled. I think they'll be better at it or whatever they plan to be, and they'll keep progressing as they go on. But, um, yeah, they've been dropping down, and it was kind of – it was interesting to see a change in the game plan. I don't – hindsight's always twenty twenty, but uh, it was interesting to say the least, especially if you want, you know, Ty to shoot it uh, mm-hmm. or, eight, you know, try and create offensively instead of get 10 assists. So it was a little strange. Yeah, that that I feel like that's the point that nails it on the head for me. When you're playing the point guards that we have, I think that playing drop coverage works, especially with the way Tyson Walker has been attacking off ball screens. He has yet to attack to really score in bunches this year off ball screens. And then also it it, it just comes down to also, like you said, hindsight's 2020. But when you have guys that like the point guard personnel that we have, but also even though at first great of players as Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate are and how much better they're going to get, I think moving forward, sometimes simplifying things is easier because in the games I've watched this year, I feel like they have a lot of breakdowns defensively and basketball IQ wise. So to me, that's when Jawan should take a game plan that's more simple. So just, you know, drop coverage on everybody and let's just see where that goes. And if we have to make some in-game adjustments, maybe we do that, but uh, it just seems that it would have made more sense to me if it was just a little more simple on the defensive end. And that would take away from the environment, mistakes, et cetera. Yeah, it's really easy to be the fan or the quote unquote media perspective and point fingers and just be like, look, you played drop coverage for two seasons and you were a top five defense in the country both seasons. I mean, you also had Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers as an upperclassman. Mm-hmm. Like you had guys that you could trust defensively at a professional level playing college basketball. Now you've got new guys that who knows what they're capable of from a mentality standpoint, let alone a physical standpoint. So, um, but it is interesting. It's, it's captivating watching this Michigan team because I do, I break down the individual guys on this team. Like I think Devonte Jones can be a very disruptive defender. I also think he's out of position countless times a game. Uh, he picks the wrong spots to be over aggressive And uh, like, I don't know how you rein that in, but I know there is a formula somewhere here for this defense to be better than 78th in the country, which is where they are right now. Uh, So it'll be fascinating to watch that develop as the season goes on. But um, let's go back to this Michigan state team because we will, we'll pass the baton over to Stu and, and do more big picture Michigan stuff here, but big picture for this Michigan state team. They're sitting in a tie for first in the conference right now. There was a lot of sort of downplaying Michigan State over the last week and a half after the loss to Northwestern without Pete Nance, loss at Illinois without Kofi Coburn, without Andre Corbello. Like those are are two games you'll point at come the end of the season if Michigan State's in a dogfight for this conference title and be like, damn, had some breaks to play teams without their guys. But obviously, they're going to get up for Michigan. Under Tom Izzo, Michigan State is always going to get up for Michigan. Stu, from the outsider perspective, do you think this Michigan State team is a serious contender to win this conference outright? Uh, for sure. I mean, you got to hone in on some things, but 
you know, I was talking with Ant Wright last as they have top 10 cohesiveness in the country. And I think that's, that's pretty true. And you got, you know, was playing AJ Hogarth off the bench and doing what they do off the bench and ready to go. They're not complaining about anything stuck out to me with this Michigan state team is that they always know like where the shot is going to come from next. Like, which is, which by that, I mean, anywhere. And they don't care. Like, they're just like, mm-hmm. someone's going to make a play and they're going to be aggressive. If they're not, then the next person's going to be aggressive. And like Max Christie knows exactly what he wants to do. You know, when he has the ball in his hands, every guy is pretty decisive when they're on. Now I could turn around, you know, they'll play the next game and they'll like look like high schoolers and that's just college basketball, but they have the potential yeah, like everything put together, like they are they're dangerous because so many different parts. Yeah, they're deep. Like I, I, my takeaway after the game in one sentence was this was a great team against a great player. That's truly what it felt like. Like Michigan's recipe was Hunter, 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 Hunter. Yeah. Michigan State's recipe was find the open guy. Anybody can beat you. And oh, yeah, we got six guys off our bench who can come in and we don't miss a beat. Um, Cart, I, I know watching Tom Izzo in this game one was, was fun for you, but two, seeing him in the post game press conference, like he was really, as he does, he was soaking it in a little bit, but the one question that seemed to aggravate him a little bit uh, was when someone read him Hunter Dickinson's stat line. And it's, it's very clear that that was the game plan for Michigan state in this game. They were fine to let Hunter Dickinson eat, but they were not going to let other guys beat them. Did it surprise you that Tom Izzo went that route? Because I don't feel like we've ever really seen a Michigan State team be okay with that, especially in the trenches in the paint from a big man. Yeah, uh, I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know if the word is okay with it, but maybe like lesser of two evils. Like, let's see. Let's see if Hunter can beat us. Uh, I think based off, we played Hunter. He's played, we played Michigan or played Hunter, what? twice now in his career was it the three times game? three times so this is yeah this is the third time and I feel like based off the previous games of course there's two different teams two different styles all that Hunter has yet to beat us uh there are games where oh, they got a take over. they got a split last year it's two and no, one I'm, right I'm, now you yeah, know but I'm talking about Hunter by himself just got going it, out it. there and beating us like um even in the like you go back to the Michigan versus Indiana game Hunter was dominating that game, but it wasn't just his scoring. He was drawing doubles. He was making passes and guys were knocking down threes. And that's why Michigan looks so good. I think in this game, we were like, you know what? Let's just let Hunter get his, but we're also not going to let him get 20 and 12 and then be able to get like five, six assists on top of that, getting guys open shots, getting them going. Then they get in rhythm. Caleb Houston hits a couple. He knocks a couple more down and it's a snowball effect. So I feel like, you know, Obviously, hindsight, it looks great because it worked. <laughs> like if, if this didn't work out and Hunter came out and put up 30, 10, and 7, and we just single covered him the whole game, then everyone would be on Tom Izzo's ass. But it worked, so you got to give him credit. I would say, like, I looked at the stats, 3 for 19 and 3. And the last few games, like, what's been going on is Caleb Houston's getting open jumpers. Other guys are getting open jumpers, and they're feeling confident. And, like, Caleb was just suffocated from the jump. And he's been the X factor for the last three games. I hate that term, but that's what it's been. And now and he was like non-existent, not aggressive, not himself. And boom, it worked. Now, I think it did help that I think Bingham played pretty good defense. Like in the second half, we were watching, we were sitting there in the bar and like, Hunter, you know, he's sitting on your right shoulder. Like you got to do something else. You got to put your shoulder and he's going to, he just keeps sitting on your right shoulder, like do something else. And Bingham just stuck there with it and like, Held them to one of his worst percentages for that many shots. I think I've seen since Hunter at, at Michigan. I know people really joke about it, and but it is like painfully obvious when he's in the post that he does not want to go to his right. Hand. Like he will, he acts like he will die if he touches it with his right hand. Like guys play him one. so. Hard. He had one. That's, what I'm, that's the thing. He hits it, so I'm like, why not? Why not try it again? He just well, he, keeps he hit one, which was this was odd. He hit one. He was on the left or the right block and he turned towards the baseline and hit it with his right hand it was like the hardest shot because you got no depth then he had one from the middle that he airballed <laughs> it's the tough it's just a tough right hand for hunt <laughs> yeah it's uh I, it feels like hunter goes to that shot almost specifically to showcase that he has it uh rather than for it to be the best move at the time 
All right, Carter, Max Christie, as you call him affectionately, Cormac. Cormac. Uh, you, you and I have had a ton of back and forth in the last two weeks. I insinuated that Cormac was not a big game player, which may be the worst take I have ever said on camera mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, but there were about 10 games of sample size to back that up where he has been like one for eight in every game against a top 50 team. And then he's like six first eight against any cupcake they've played all season. Uh, he played well in the Wisconsin game on the road that killed that agenda. And then I was there to witness it in person cart. He basically drove daggers through both me and Caleb Houston's heart for 40 mm-hmm. minutes in East Lansing. Do you want to take your victory lap right now? Now would be your chance to do so. Yeah. And it's not more, it's not more so a victory lap towards you. There's a couple people out there who have been giving me shit because I'm calling him Cormac, which is his birth name. And I've been telling people that there's level, there's levels to this. Okay. Like some, some people, some five-star freshmen, they get buckets for teams that are ranked in the top 25. Some freshmen do it for teams who are fighting to get into the top 25. Some freshmen are going to do it for NIT teams. Some freshmen are going to do it for NCAA tournament teams. It's just levels at this point, you know, we just have to give the crown to Cormac. He is the best freshman whose name starts with a C in the state of Michigan. <laughs> it is what it is. Caleb Houston can be second. It's fine. Second's not bad, just not number one. And I mean, it, the first half was just evident of it because not only was it against our rival, it was at a time where we needed some scoring because we weren't getting scoring from anybody. And it could have got out of hand quickly in that first half if we didn't get those Cormac buckets. So credit to him. Someone had to have a, you know, quote unquote legacy game or a legacy moment. And Cormac had his. Yeah, we talked about it. We were saying this is going to be a legacy game for someone. If anyone, it's probably Max Christie who gets the nod for that. Uh, like a- you said, AJ, Ho- AJ Hogard might might have might have had semi legacy game. Could accept Hogard. Could accept Joey Hauser too. Like you could you could accept anybody from Michigan State. That's what makes this Michigan State team special. But um, yeah, I it my takeaway was like watching that first half. It really felt like Michigan was sort of having their way with Michigan State even though they never really opened up a lead of any sort, but like they were getting the looks they wanted. Michigan state was struggling in the half court, at least early. And Max Christie was single-handedly shooting them to a, a dead heat at that point. And it was very difficult for me as someone who has vocally opposed Max Christie in defense of Caleb Houston to watch that happen. Caleb was not ready for this game is what uh, it looked like to me. I know he kind of got some garbage time plays. He had the and one late. He was kind of flexing on some dudes. There looked like there was a little bit of back and forth with Max Christie. Uh, also with Musa Diabate, who just ate that layup attempt late in the yeah. game as well. Yeah. But uh, 15 dog. Cart Max Max is a gamer though. That's the thing. Like he he looks like he's very unassuming, pretty quiet, but like he he amped this shit up for the rivalry game a little bit in a way that I didn't expect him to in his debut. Stu, what like like I, Max Christie's an out of state kid, not a Michigan guy. Same with you. Uh, what's the first rivalry game like as a freshman in that environment? You, I kind of depends. <clears throat> you know, for me it was. I was more worried about IU and Purdue. I was more excited to play IU and Purdue. And like that first game, it's loud and everyone's hyped and everyone wants to talk to you about it. And I'm like, I just, just the next game for me. And then when people start talking shit to you after that game, you're like, okay, this is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And it'll go up and up and up. And so now like Max had this really good game. People are going to be hyping him up on campus, off campus, like, now, now he's now he's in it. Like I, he he was ready for it. I think, basically, from a standpoint where if I were him and I were Caleb Houston, like that would be my mindset. Like I'm going out to outperform the other guy there, while also winning. Um, but yeah, that that first one, you're like stepping into it. Like it's it's fresh water. You have no idea what you're getting into. And yeah, he came out just ready though. So that was it was impressive. Like he was just very comfortable. And, like, I don't know, he's been having some of these one for eight performances, but has he been this comfortable all year? No. No. Not at all. I mean, even yeah, in his good games, like, no. He looked like he knew exactly what he was doing. He was patient. He was ready to hit shots when it, when the ball came to him, and he didn't force anything. I was like, what, what's going on here? He, he looked like, like, I mean, maybe him and Hunter were battling for who looked like the best pro out there. 
Yeah, it was impressive too because there was a couple games this year that Greg pointed out where it wasn't necessarily to start the game, but like in tight in tight games down the stretch, he he was kind of pissing down his leg a little bit. Um, kind of, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. I mean, he's I mean, he was we, we he was won some of the games. Two. No, he was, he, was he was two for two in crunch time moments where one possession game balls in his hands. And I mean, he didn't even initiate the action that he was supposed to like, he, he passed that shit away after just kind of rocking it for five seconds. And it's AJ Hogard making a play. So it's different. It is different. Like beginning of a game is way different than, you know, end of a game that, that differentiates a lot of differentiates a lot of guys like, uh, you know, Trey Burke was just like a different animal. Like that's him and, you know, like Cassius, like those guys just mm-hmm. control everything. So it remains to be seen if he can do that, but I didn't realize it would be quite like that or like it, that, like it, it was that much potential, especially being so young. Your, your two core Mac will get a, will get a killer in the last two minutes. Hey, if, if he plays like he did in East Lansing on Saturday, every single game, you might not get a year two core Mac, but we'll see. Uh, bodes well for the ceiling of this Michigan state team though. Preseason. It was like, you need Max Christie to be the alpha from a scoring perspective. And, uh, he was in arguably their biggest game of the season thus far. Uh, so good for him. Congrats to Michigan state Carter. Any final words on the Michigan state portion of this before we turn to more big picture Michigan stuff? Uh, I'll just say good win. It was a game I expected to win just because we were at home and I don't necessarily think that Michigan was playing their best basketball. Um, I mean, they had a good win at assembly hall, but I think they struggled mightily with Northwestern, even though they did win that game. I thought Northwestern had a lot of chances to win that game. So it is a game I'm excited and happy. We won. I will say that I think people should maybe kick it down just a little bit. Like we, you know, Michigan, it's, it's our rival and we were supposed to beat and we we're playing at home, but you know, we didn't beat, you know, no, no disrespect to Michigan, but maybe a little disrespect. Like they're headed for the NIT right now. So we, we beat a team that's not good. You're playing that point. card. Wow. I mean, the NIT chance crushed me a little bit in person. I'm not, I wish lie. I could get that on video because the look in your eyes, I swore I saw a tear come out of the hurt when the NIT oh, chance started ringing it, out. It, it felt like my soul just died. Like every other chant up till that point was funny, like just like football, all that. And then they hit me with the NIT and I'm just, oh man. We, my uh, sophomore year, we were so bad. Like we didn't even want to go to the NIT. Like that was like a possibility. And we're like, Please no. Like, <laughs> do not, don't accept an invite. We just want to go home. <laughs> Let's just chalk this one up. Yeah. Oh, done. No. Uh, Cart, we uh we did pregame both bet on this game, my friend. You came out the victor. You had Michigan State minus three, I believe. I had Michigan plus three on the money line as well. Uh, but if I were to want to bet on Michigan State again later this week, where would I go? Yeah, we already know we're going. We're going to our great friends over at Bet Rivers. I mean, they got you with the bonuses, the boosts, the match, the free bets, everything you need. Always available. They have great future lines as well as we're getting closer to March. There's some great value if you see a little bit in a team. Me personally, I'll be sprinkling a little bit on Kentucky men's basketball to win it all. I think they're a good team. Great odds. Head over to Bet Rivers and see that. But yeah, if you're not betting on Bet Rivers, then you might as well just not bet. And that's the way I feel about it. Great ad read. I appreciate that. All right, Stu, we're going to toss the baton your way to officially transition to a go blue with Stu portion of this episode. There we go. I appreciate it. It's my first hybrid one. So I, you know, I don't know if I like going last, but I'll take it anyways. (laughs) But I wanted to talk about some Michigan stuff. I want to talk about some more of the Michigan state team. Um, But I think my first point that I want to make is that I think Musa Diabate made a lot of fans on Saturday. And I think a, a lot of Michigan state uh, respect uh, from that end as well. And, you know, he was a big bright spot. I think maybe they're relying a little too much on him in certain areas, but you know, what, what was the one thing I can speak to what I thought was impressive, but what did you guys think in that arena watching and, you know, from a Michigan fan and a Michigan state fan, what were you guys most impressed with him? So I told I, I told Cart pregame we had a debate on this uh, because I told him that I thought the Diabate versus Hauser slash Hall matchup was the one that I thought was the most in Michigan's favor, even just from a physicality, mentality, whatever you want standpoint. Like I, I was very confident that Musa would show up in this game. He just seems like a gamer to me. 
He seems like he likes the bright lights and he seems like he has the talent and the skill to back it up. Uh, I thought his first half was pretty phenomenal. Um, he played 34 minutes in this game, which it was shocking to me looking back on that because I, I don't know that we've seen that all season from him, even as the rotation has trimmed a little bit. Um, but I think especially as the game became such a just force it down low mode, like Diabate's ability to crash the offensive boards and just throw himself into plays from his physical gifts alone was very impressive when you consider that that's stacking up against a Michigan state front court that's renowned for its toughness. Um, so, I mean, I don't recall many freshmen ever at Michigan inserting themselves into the rivalry physically like that. I'm very curious for Diabate, like who knows if Michigan gets him beyond this season. Uh, but if they do, God forbid. And if Hunter Dickinson's not there, like Musa at the five full time, I think is going to look a lot different than Musa at the four next to Hunter Dickinson looks. And I don't know if that's going to be good or bad or what. I just know it's going to look different. And I'd love to see what that looks like in college selfishly, because I, I think the kid's a freak. But Cart, you were you were opposite of me pregame. You were not worried about Musa. And then I think midway through the first half, you kind of looked at me like, oh, shit. Yeah, I was I look I literally actually did look at Greg like, oh shit, this dude is an absolute like monster. Like not like people talk about like how he's an athletic monster, a freak of nature. Like he legit is a freak of nature athlete. Like he can there's so much he can do and there's so much room for him to improve. I thought that his face-up game was a lot better than I thought. I mean, his feet and his footwork were just unbelievable he was able to have a couple moves where he went baseline on Marcus Bingham and was able to use you know avoid his length avoid getting a shot block if he wasn't making it he's getting fouled he had some good steals as well and then he was all over the glass I thought that um out of the whole press conference that Jawan had the one thing that stuck out to me that I did agree with was I thought that Musa could have went up with some of the offensive rebounds that he had um, just from being inside, especially because I think he needs to kind of take notice that they're not hitting shots. So you might as well just go up and if anything, you'll get fouled, I think, or make that basket. But I think that he, it was just impressive what he was able to do and the energy he was able to bring. Cause I didn't really feel energy coming from anybody else on the Michigan team necessarily. Like I thought Hunter was getting his and talking his shit because that's what he does and credit to him for that. Because when you do get buckets, you got to let the other team know you gave him a bucket. But I think Moose's energy, you could just feel it. Like he was just playing extremely hard. So I, I came away extremely impressed with what he did. Yeah, he uh, – I think he's going to – I think he's coming back. I kind of relate him to like Hansbrough type guy. Like I could see him – everyone's thinking he's going to leave and I don't know him or what his personality is or his dreams are or, you know, I'm, I'll am leave overseas. I don't really care about college at all. Like who knows? But – he has that sort of style, and I think he has still a lot to develop. And I don't think there's too many other spots to better places to do it than with Jawan or at Michigan, where you're already going to get some minutes and play against some of the best uh, schools in the nation. I think him at the five would be very interesting. Like Kofi's gone right after this year. Mm -hmm. Kofi's mm -hmm. gone. I'm guessing Hunter will be gone. It doesn't matter. But like people he would play against, I don't know if Zach Eat what Edie's plans are, um, but like. He reminds me of a big man, like in my era, it was like Jawan Johnson was like the tallest guy. Like we didn't play too many big time freaks. I feel like the last couple of years, like the big 10 just been seven foot after seven footer. Like it's a little ridiculous and it, he could still do that. Um, and if he can develop a 15 footer, th there's a lot for him to do still where he could be like uh, an animal, like, like 20 and 10. Um, but they're, they're definitely going to keep going to him because he, is just the most aggressive player right now on like collectively i mean hunter's been chasing the shots but both sides he's been the most aggressive that like they tried to start brandon johns this year and i think brandon played really well last year but he needs you know more guard play around him in order to shine where moose is like i don't know that this is the basketball it's like a, you know like a i, I was just sad of buddy in high school and he would like come back to me and report to me on like how i did and he's like you know, most games you're like a golden retriever with you're just your nose is on the ball. And this game, you're just kind of lazy. And like that is Moose. And Moose is like the ball's there. I'm just going to get it. Like that's it's like it's like a dog in a pork chop or something like he he doesn't care what's going on. And you need a lot of those guys like you need some more cerebral guys. You need some more guys like Musa. So 
yeah, it, he's just been like, it's been like John's just kind of throwing his hands over there and be like, all right, well, like we're going to play him now 34, 35 minutes and this is what's going to happen. So you go get yours because we don't know what else we're going to do. Like, we don't know where it's going to come from. And we need these guys that are just going to say, screw it. I'll, I'll just be me then. Yeah, I think he's deserving of the minutes, at least at this point. And uh, I promised I wouldn't say his name on the show, but I'm going to break by rule. Like, I, I feel very bad for Brandon Johns. Like, I know there's a good basketball player somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. I don't think it's going to find itself at Michigan at this point with the way the season's played out. I thought he was great in the tournament run for Michigan last season. So it's got to be tough, especially for him, like kind of thinking he's going to walk into that spot. And then in comes this seven foot freak who can hit face up jumpers and do what Musa Diabate can do. Um, But man, like at this point, more Musa is, is needed for this Michigan team. I was surprised he got the minutes he did, but I think that bodes well for them down the stretch run as they trim the rotation and, Um, I think like you said, like it's one thing to have players or a player here and there who like just doesn't care about the moment. Like it doesn't matter. He's going to sniff the ball and just go off his instincts. Like that's special about Musa, but he also needs to find a balance where he, he may not care about the moment, but at least he's aware of the moment because there's been some times this season where like he, I, I keep thinking back to that shot at the end of the first half. I don't remember who they were playing, but he takes a long two with like 11 seconds on the shot clock and they yep. give up a layup run out. Like, I still think there's a few too many moments per game for him right now where he just does something really stupid. And I feel like he can develop that over time. Um, but we'll have to wait and see if it does happen. No, it's been like the name of the game with Michigan right now. And, you know, we, uh, last week and it's like, it's a luxury now that they've won three games. Well, with Michigan State, you can't just figure yourself out. So they, they have tests, I think, like five of the next 12, like 12 or 11 games is against ranked teams. Like, it's going to be tough sledding because these teams are so good. And to figure stuff out like that on the fly is just – it's just a no-go. But I think the rest of this season, like, it's, it's not a defeat. Like, I think they need to still – develop and work on themselves and kind of set up for next year. You have so many young guys in this team. You had Kobe and Frankie that I thought could have played more, to be honest with you. Um, I like them a lot. I, I, I really do. Like they might be a little smaller, like if they both play in the backcourt, but I, I don't think that really matters. I think you, you need to start really developing guys where you're going to be. And I think Moose is in a great spot with that, where it's like, all right, we're going to feed them to the post. Now we're going to let them go do his work now we got to figure out how to like keep adjusting with the hot and cold Caleb off and on um and I think one person I really just feel bad for you know one is Devante another one's kind of Hunter with just the situation and him trying to come back and win but the big one is Eli yeah and Eli is Eli is my guy I feel for Eli where you know he's was like the ultimate role player quote unquote but he could score he could create he can do a lot of things but you never like view him as you never view him as that guy so they want him to go off too much and it which like that sucks like that that hurts the soul when you have like when you have 18 and they're like okay well you know maybe we don't want that every game and you're like screw you like what do you mean I just did like what's wrong with me doing that and so he's had to adjust like he's too much of a team player and I don't know how you guys view him I don't know how the Michigan State side views him but uh, I mean he's just he should go down as one of the most important players of the last, you know, since the beyond era started. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I've never necessarily, I I just look at Eli as just a piece. Like I think he's a, he's a great, but he's a great piece. You know what I'm saying? Like he can slide him in somewhere to a lineup surrounded by a lot of talent and he'll do exactly like what he does. Um, It's, I'm not really sure what, who I would compare him to on like Michigan state team or something like that. I don't think they're really, we don't have an Eli. It's just, he kind of just does what he does. I think if you stretch it out, like Gabe Brown has a role on our team. He just is a guy who just is going to play hard, shoot, and get out and run and be athletic and do dunks. Uh, but even better for a player like Eli, at least he does a little bit of everything. He's just not necessarily great at one thing. He just does everything, kind of. I, I just fear for Eli's legacy, which ultimately doesn't matter. But, like, if, if you could have flipped the way the season went standings-wise from last season to this season, like, everybody remembers Eli as the consummate teammate who led the team to finally this great season in his final year, and he was unselfish and sacrificed so much to come back. And instead, it's like, 
he still was unselfish and sacrificed so much to come back, but no one's ever going to mention it again unless this team really, really turns it around. I, uh, mm. I've compared him to Frazier, Trent Frazier from Illinois, who I think like, I don't think Trent Frazier's in his fifth year. If I'm wrong there, someone correct me, but um, just sort of always been like the fourth, fifth option guy, but you feel like there could be something more certain games. And I think Frazier seems to have found his sweet spot this season. And I think having a team that has, like 18 different shooters surrounding a Kofi Coburn makes it a lot easier for Trent Frazier to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like there were times the last two seasons where I thought like Eli just looked like the perfect swing piece. Like he would take those, those handoffs and just kind of fly through and catch the ball on the move and find the open spot. And now it almost feels like even when he does have a good game, it's like he's forcing it just because the pieces around him are either not in the right spots or don't really make a ton of sense surrounding him to have the ball in his hands. So their numbers, like if you look at Frazier's numbers and Eli's numbers, like Eli's averaging 11, three and three Frazier's averaging 13, three and three. And I think everybody would point to Trent Frazier, Brad Underwood's point to Frazier. Like he's the defensive player of the year. He's having this great season and nobody's really doing that for Eli, but I think he's quietly doing all the same things that made Eli Brooks special his first four years. It's just a shame that it seems to be going to waste. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever trust those uh, defensive player of the years or all first team defense. I think it's a crock. I learned that it was a crock my senior year because manager told me that like the video guys just like write in names for the coaches and the coaches just check it off. Like, okay. And like, apparently whoever averages steals and blocks just gets on first team all defense. I'm like, nobody knows how to watch defense. It bugs the hell out of me. Yeah, like uh, uh, literally the only example I use for that, James Harden is top five in steals every single year in the NBA. Like it, it doesn't yeah. doesn't equate. It does, like that's not old how it Iverson. works. Yeah, Iverson did the same thing. It was like, it's like, who cares? Just, yeah. Like you got to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to, to, to talk about with this Michigan team. It is pretty much, it is what it is. We saw the game plan. They're going to stick to it. Um, what they could do more is – set up Caleb a little better. Like he needs to shoot. I was, I said last week on the podcast, like I hope he shoots four bad shots in the first four minutes and he didn't do it. And he just needs to get into the game. Like if you're, if this team's going to go anywhere, like you just got to get him shots. It's, it's still odd to me that we aren't just setting that prototypical beeline five, three down screen and letting those two rock on the side. And, you know, you can do so much action out of it. Like even, even Hunter can step back out and hit a three now. So there's odd things like that, where I don't think we're taking advantage of what we have. Um, But, you know, we'll see. I don't know what they're going to play for anymore. They got Nebraska, uh, depending on what Tuesday, depending on what the, when this uh, podcast comes out and it's going to be interesting. I think the next fans are going to be looking for is the Michigan state game. Uh, and I, I don't really know where to go with it from there, but I, I do think they have a chance. And if they go one-on-one, it would, it would feel pretty good. But, you know, I, I really don't have much else to say. I've been like beating a dead horse with some of this team. Stu, I, why- I, I do. Oh, wait, wait, Greg, hold on. I got a, yeah, I got go a quick question just because we, so we went to the post-game press conference, right? Um, and Jawan jo- had some pretty interesting things to say. And I'd like to, I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Uh, one, it. one started off, Someone asked them about Marcus Bingham and kind of where he was. And Greg stopped me because, you know, I can sometimes embellish and maybe leave out a few details. But basically, someone asked about Marcus Bingham, the defense he's played and his improvement over the time, over the years uh, defensively and like where he's at and how he did on Hunter. And Juwan answered that with what mm, he literally did this. He made this face said, how many Hunter have again? Yeah, he had twenty five. Oh, I, huh. okay and then went on to the next question i i can't stand these fishing questions where you the Juwan has so much to worry about watching his own team like you think he's watching film of bingham every game being like wow it's really progressed i'm writing a report <laughs> sending it over to Izzo. like your buddy your, your guy bingham's done really well Juwan doesn't care and he's not going to talk about like he's already upset you lost like these questions i don't understand these questions sometimes like if it's like you know Bingham had like 25 and eight and four blocks. And like last year he was playing five minutes. Then yeah, ask that question. But it's like, I'm sorry. Juwan's not dissecting his defense for the last two years. It's just stupid. <laughs> That's a good point. 
Yeah, he, he just seemed testy in the post game, which like he should be testy. They're coming off a blowout loss at the press. Yeah, what, 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 what that person asked him, Greg, he said, uh, uh, what's it take to win? Or what do you say? Like you've won here. You haven't won here uh yet no, was, and then he was, he's like oh no i have as a player he was asking about the <laughs> atmosphere and just hunter dickinson was like talking about how he loved playing in the environment and they were like the atmosphere was great today Jawan, you've played here and yeah he cut him off and goes well i won here and every everyone <laughs> in the room was just like whoa there um, yeah i mean look yeah. you got to do that that's what makes the rivalry fun right i think it's going to be amazing with how animated Jawan can get and like the same with Izzo. And they'll respect each other, but I think there could be like some fun, testy moments where you never know with these guys because like egos can get pretty fragile where like things get out of hand. But I feel like they can like talk shit to each other and be fine at the end. Like not not a uh, what's his from Maryland. I don't know his last situation. Yeah, Turgeon, get him out of here. Like that was a different story. <laughs> but like I think him and Izzo will be fun for a while. Yeah, it, it, honestly, at the end of the game, uh, there was a situation where he was trying to get his son Steven in, and technically he couldn't come in because that's basically some rule about him not getting to the table fast enough. And Juwan's like, no, it's okay. Like, go ahead, let him come in. So that, he, he gave us that little thing. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I, how, about, how about that at the end? I think it was – I don't know who it was. They didn't pass it out. And it was like, if you're going to – like, you got to give him a shot. Like, isn't that – you can't put them in and then not passing the ball. Like at least just airball something. I don't know. I don't even know. Michi- Michigan State's either. garbage time lineup is like like they have two football players who joined the team a week ago, then two coaches' sons. Like they're just they're in a spot where like they're out to get a bucket every guy who's on the floor in that spot. So, which okay, gives Keon Coleman credit. It was a nice bucket, but yeah, man. I'm interested to hear from you guys what you think the next two years kind of looks like. Like I think Caleb. And Musa are back. You got Frankie coming in, and I think he'll be very um, underestimated going into next year. I, I imagine Hunter will be gone. Um, but w- w- let's say surrounding Caleb and Musa, and then you know what does that rivalry rivalry look like next year to shape up? Like I think it could be pretty fun from like a pros watching pros standpoint. Hundred percent. I mean, I think. I love Michigan's core if they bring the core back and they're not getting Dickinson back. If he, and this is happening to other guys like Kofi Coburn was gone all of last season until he found out he wasn't going to get drafted. And like right now, Hunter Dickinson's not going to get drafted. So if, if he wants to go, which he definitely wants to go like more power to him, but who knows if there's a last minute decision there, but yeah, if you get those four back, Houston, Diabate, Collins, Bufkin, I have zero concerns about Michigan next season, especially if you throw Jed Howard into that and really play Terrence with some Williams shooters. Be good. Yeah. yeah. Like they're going to have dudes and they're going to have dudes who are competitive dudes going forward. Even like a Doug McDaniel, like that dude, I don't know how much tape you've seen of him, the little point guard they got coming in next year. Nah, like nah. he's feisty, dude. He's just he just really dog. is. He's a dog. Yeah. So I, I the rivalry will be in a good spot and Michigan state should bring everybody back except, who Bingham and Gabe? Yeah, I mean, there's no pros on that roster other than Christie, even though they're a really good college basketball team. So yeah, no, no, I think I think the rivalry. I think especially like Greg said, you have players like Houston and Diabate who I would bet any money are going to get better, uh, and they'll be better for it. You know, kind of taking these lumps and bruises their freshman year. Obviously, it sucks when you're a five star guy and you're McDonald's All American. You come in and you don't dominate or not dominate, but you don't play extremely well right away. Like that's a, that's an ego kind of hit personally, but mm-hmm. I, I got faith that both those guys could come would benefit from coming back for a sophomore year and would benefit Michigan as a basketball team. I think Hunter said it in the press conference, uh, the last game, like there's a lot of young guys on this team. And he, it's funny when he says it, because like, he always points it. He's like, he doesn't want to call out the young guys, but it's obvious who the young guys are. Like, he's like, oh, you know, there's a guys on, that are in high school last year that haven't exactly been that good this year. I'm like, hmm, I wonder who that could be. Maybe the freshman? I don't know. But, yeah, I, th- I think they'll be good, especially uh, if they can get Houston to be like a knockdown, just 40% three-point shooter. Hmm. Uh, I think Kobe Bufkin takes a step. Uh, he's always been one of my favorite players. And then a guy like Jet Howard, too, I think is a guy who can get buckets on the wing. So more baskets outside of the front court will open up a lot of things, especially yeah. if you have a force down low like Diabate. So credit to them. 
Stu, I have three rapid fire questions for you and off the heel of talking about Hunter Dickinson calling teammates out. Do you think this team likes each other at all? I do. Yeah, I think they do. I think uh, Hunter is the most vocal. You're always going to be frustrated with your teammates that are making mistakes. And like Beeline hated freshmen because they make the most mistakes. And if I'm a guy like, you know, if I say it was my junior, senior year, we had to play like a bunch of freshmen that weren't named Trey Burke, like it would be very frustrating. So I think they, they, they like each other. They seem to like each other, but yeah, by no means is it uh, all that fun in the locker room when you're making all those mistakes over and over and over. So it's, yeah, it's not easy. I, my hypothesis for the last month has just been that these guys hate each other, but <laughs> I feel that's why I need to ask you. Like I need someone who can actually read this shit way better than me. Cause I just hear clips from Hunter Dickinson. And then I see Eli Brooks look like he's ready to strangle himself in a oh, media timeout every game. I, I do not envy Eli. Like I <laughs> even like playing with Trey, there's so many times where you like, you want Trey to like do something defensively or like, you got to pick up the slack because he's scoring so much. So like it, it can be very frustrating and, you know, and they're losing right now. So it's even tenfold. Yeah, that's tough. All right. There's, there's literally nothing worse than being on a team where you hate your teammates. Cause I've been on a team. I've been on a team before where I hated all my teammates on top of that. You're losing oh. it's hell on earth. And then you got to go to school too. You got to like that, read the, books like Buddha, Buddhist books to get through it. Yeah. It's oh tough. God. Like you're doing, you're downloading apps, headspace apps on your phone, just trying to clear your head. Just like what the hell is going on. It's awful. Uh, Stu, you talked about the, like just some things that we we wonder why the staff isn't doing more concepts, right? Like, why aren't they doing more for Caleb Houston? Why aren't they doing more drop coverage? Um, from the outside looking in, like there's a ton of coaching talent on the sideline at Michigan yeah. this year. I think last year, Jawan was deservedly the national coach of the year. And I think this year, if there was an award for national worst coach of the year he would be in the running this season legitimately with the talent he has why do you think that this seems to be like a shift from year to year like can we point at like just they're trying certain things because of youth or like it it, it totally feels to me like they've underwhelmed as a coaching staff this season am i crazy for that i think it's trying things and then you they can't try things because of youth and like they don't have but Jawan's system and like last year it was pretty free flowing and it's like all right you guys are going to showcase your pro talent and it's going to be pretty free flowing we'll put in some sets and this year they've had to run a bunch of sets like they first 10 games they ran a bunch of uh what we would call it five down you enter it to hunter in the high post and then you kind of got guys rotating through the wing and then one and the hunter goes to one side to hand off and they ran that a bunch of times just to like get some continuity like they can't put in too much stuff Maybe he does need to put in a system where we go, okay, we got, we got half a system. We're going to ingrain this in these guys' heads in training camp while playing a little free-flowing and see how it feels. But, like, last two years, you can just kind of throw the ball up. And, like, the Miami Heat aren't coaching 19-year-old kids, you know? Like, that system is about coaching pros who know what they're doing. And they have a lot – that's why they have Udonis Haslam still on the roster, like – they want guys who know what they're doing and they're doing it precisely and, but they're vets. So like these coaching 18 national kids is tough, man. It's very tough. So this is a, this is just, I mean, this is a really good thing for him. Like it's, it's, it's much easier to, to learn from losing and from these bumps than it is from constantly winning and constantly getting talent rotated in and out. So I, I it'll only make him better. And I have zero doubts that he's going to figure out how to then approach a group next season and like, get it going earlier instead of later, but it's, it's a learning process. Like, you, no, I mean, maybe like one out of every 20 guys could come into a situation and be like, all right, I know exactly what I'm doing with this group, even though it's like vastly different from last year's group. Like that's just not easy. It's a, it's not an easy thing to like sit there and, you know, yeah, I do it. There, there's a lot of things he should be doing better, but like, I'm going to give him a little bit of leeway here for a while. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing it across the country. Like, great coaches. Chris Mack is a great coach, objectively, but he's out of a job at Louisville right now. And I don't yeah, think Jawan will ever be out of a job, but, oh, like, it, year over year is crazy in college basketball. It makes me want to throw my head up against a brick wall. It's like, <laughs> what's one year? Like, appreciate yeah. talent. Like, appreciate talented coaches. I always say that football has – Michigan football has this problem where 
you know, most schools across the country should appreciate like one good year out of maybe every four or five or six. Like it is not easy, but you get into a point where like we demand excellence all the time. And it's like, okay, good luck with that. Then you're just keep rotating things. Then you got to redevelop a program for the three or four years until you have, it's just, I think it's stupid. And I think patience is not a virtue that you find often in college, in any college sport. Yeah. Not in college sports anymore, at least it's crazy. Uh, all right. My final rapid fire question. Cart's going to like this one. Caleb Houston, by all accounts, a great shooter yet. I have to think he leads the country in air balls on the season. What is up with that? You were a great shooter. You are a great shooter. Like what I've never seen a great shooter airball so many seemingly open shots. Oh, I've done it. I've done it plenty of times enough to know where like you just, you catch it. Something doesn't feel right, but you still know you're going to shoot it and you let it go. Like he's, so he's not unconscious right now. That that's, that's what that's telling me. And he got bombarded with questions. Um, God, when was it a few games ago? I mean, the only question people could ask him after the game was like, how does it feel to have some confidence in making shots? And it's like, like he's st- just, I, I don't know. It just bothered me. It wasn't a nuanced question. And you're just asking it over and over again. And like, it, go, it goes much deeper than that. And I hated, I hated it because he kept having to say, I'm confident. I'm always confident. And he can't be honest about what's going on in his head. And I think that perpetuates the problem. So hopefully someone's talking to like, like, yeah, I'm not confident or, Hey, bud, you're not confident right now. Like it's okay. Like it doesn't matter. Like you're not, you don't need to keep sitting there tense with your shoulders up every time you shoot. So <laughs> He's seen it. I think he at least saw the ball go through the hoop a bunch against IU and like got up a bunch of threes, which was nice, but he's going to continue to fluctuate. And that just means he's not shooting unconsciously and playing unconsciously. And he's just thinking too much. And like, I had that issue my entire career, my entire playing career since forever. So I get it. Like it'll go up and down and, but eventually, eventually he'll figure out he's too good. Like he'll eventually he'll realize, Oh, I'm like what Franz would do last year would yell at him. He'd be like, you're in the paint, Franz. You're taller than everyone. Just, just shoot it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you, no one's going to block you. We don't care if you shoot 20 times. Like, you're going to get in there. You're taller. You're more skilled. Eventually, it's going to work out. So, he'll figure that out. I'm going to go back and review film on every Stu Douglas Michigan game because I know for a fact that you did not airball multiple <laughs> games in a row. I'm telling no, you, Kate Houston not. averages one a game. One probably a game. Probably not. Even the I IU the- game when he was unconscious, he airballed. Like, he yeah. did. No, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I feel for him. I'll never forget. That's a funny story. We were playing in the big 10 tournament uh, against Illinois. I think it was my freshman year. I think his name was Trent Beach. No, no, no. It was, I don't know. One of the, well, some white guy, two guard. He annoyed the hell out of me, but he, he, I like hit a three swish right in his face, came down the next possession, wide open air ball that he was like, how did you just air ball that? And I literally just said, I don't know. <laughs> and kept it moving. That was a whole conversation. And it was like, you know, if you're too open, then you're too much how that stuff happens. Cause then you're just every rep you take in practice should be muscle memory. And when you start to like mess with muscle memory by thinking for a half second, like you're done, but yeah, that back-to-back games is a little different, but I, he's too good. Like he, he's too good. Honestly, if he airballs one a game for the rest of his career and shoots 45%, I don't care. Like, you know what I'm saying? True. True. I, I, I agree with it. <laughs> he's shooting 37% on the season, by the way, from three. So despite the air balls, like he's already shooting on five attempts a game, a ridiculously good. Well, level I think people are just disappointed because like his, I mean, a beautiful, it's a beautiful jump shot. Like yeah, it, he should be, he should be like mid forties in my eyes. Like he can do that. He's tall enough. The jumper is, is fire. Like he should just be knocking it down. It sounds easy, of course. Look Man, at look at you hold Michigan Wolverine basketball players accountable, Cart. It's good. It's good to <laughs> Someone, see. Someone, you know, someone's got to do it. Damn it! If it's got to be me, I'll do it. By the way, Stu Trent Meacham. It was Trent Meacham, by the way. Okay. I think uh, he's a Big Ten Network analyst now, and he wears turtlenecks eighty percent of the time he's on camera. Oh, so, like brain action. Interesting. I haven't yeah. seen that in a while. <laughs> yeah, just worth worth noting. If you ever flip on Big Ten Network, look for the boy in the turtleneck. Uh, all right. This was a really fun episode crossover go blue with Stu and unscripted both on the field of 68 presented by bet rivers. Stu, I appreciate you making the time for this and uh, we're going to have to link up the next time we're in Indy, man. Oh yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate you guys. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, you guys are doing anything. I'm always here. Hey, always fun. Always welcome. And to answer that sign behind you, are you stupid? Are you dumb? 
I'm both, but I'm also a winner. Let's not forget. <laughs> go green, go white, all that. Nonsense. So moronic as well. Okay. <laughs> oh, touche, touche. But a winning moron. Oh, winning moron.